Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. This morning, though, I I want to uh, just a couple of things. I want to kind of give a praise report. I was on the phone with Pastor uh, Tim this morning, and he was just telling me, and I won't go into any great detail. Of course, he didn't go into great detail with me, but just likely quickly was talking about where they're at in the, the women's uh, conference that Pastor Mika was preaching at. Um, but in the particular district they were in, there had been some things over the years that had taken place, and God was is, has used them in this week, and he just has used those services to bring healing to relationships that had been broken and rifts and things that had happened in the district. And it was like uh, just a powerful thing. And, and Yvette and I just happened to know some of the families and some of the situations up there. And so when we heard that, it just it blessed our heart because I, something that, if you don't know this about me, but something that I just believe is that there has to be unity. Um, in one of the things, there's seven things that God hates, but there's one more that he detests. Like, it's not just hate. It's like above and beyond hate. And that's people who stir up trouble among the brethren, people who cause strife. Like, if you're one of those people that on purpose is saying something about anyone else that would cause division, God detests that. And I'm being very, very careful to enunciate my words so you understand just how bad it is in God's eyes. It's it's not even the lukewarm thing. Like, this is worse than throwing up, right? God cannot stand when people sow discord among the brethren. I've been around people who are like that, people who just, they're always wanting to be in something. They want to stir up and hear and talk about, and, and they live off of the energy of that type of thing. And let me just tell you, God hates that. And so unity, if you are going to be his, you're going to be about unifying. And and that's why, and this isn't even a part of my my notes or my message, um, but that's why it's like one of my lifelong quests. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I fall short in this area, but if you will want, Ephesians 6 starts out, everyone knows that to be the the chapter where we talk about the armor of God. But the very beginning, or close to the beginning, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. And Right? It tells us specifically we're not fighting against people. Sometimes people are the vessels being used to deliver things that are not of God. This is true. But that person is not what we're fighting. Right. And whenever you start to get that in your mindset, you start understanding that when someone does something that you're like, I didn't like that. You don't become offended of the at the person because you recognize that it's not the person, but there's a spirit behind it. A lot of times that spirit is misinformation. A lot of times it's there's a whole host of things that that can be leading to that. And when you start doing that, you start seeing people more like God sees them. And you understand that, you know what, this is just another hurting brother or sister that I need to pray for. I need to lift up. I need to work towards unity with, even if they have a difference of opinion or idea. Amen? 
Again, that's all free. That's not a part of my message. The whole message is free, but anyway. Um, today I want to talk about identity. This is something that the Lord's been kind of dealing with me for multiple weeks. And so a little about a week and a half ago when Pastor Amika said, hey, I want you to speak on the fourth. I was like, okay, I got something. And she's like, great. And then last week, I thought she was going to dig into it a little bit because she kind of alluded to it. And I was like, wait a minute, better hold up off of that because that's what I'm preaching next week. And then she kind of just skimmed by it. She mentioned a little bit, but she kind of skimmed by it. And today I want to, and it's, it's really <clears throat> in the world we live in today, this word is such a big deal. But I want to talk about identity. And the language keeps getting thrown around all the time nowadays. I identify as. I identify as. And, and it's unfortunate because we're not supposed to identify ourselves anyway. Our identity comes from our Heavenly Father. He's the one that I, when he created us, the Bible says we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And at the moment he was making you, he already gave you your identity. Now, oftentimes as humans, we spend a lifetime trying to discover that identity. Um, some people come into it very quickly. Some people struggle with finding it. Uh, others, they feel like they're walking in for a short time and then they don't. And I believe what I'm going to share with you today is going to help you out quite a bit. Um, and, and so I'm hoping today that this will be a blessing to you. Um, we're going to jump right into Scripture here in just a moment, but I want to set this up. Where we're at here in Scripture is uh, we're going to jump in where David has just defeated Goliath. How many is familiar with David and Goliath? You've heard the Bible story, right? It's a giant. <clears throat> And uh, David jumps in, and he, he defeats him. And, and it's interesting because at the moment that David walks on the field, even Goliath is struggling with David's identity. He's like, you send me this little boy, right? You send me a shepherd. You send me someone who is common. I'm going to feed him to the birds. That's what he said today. He was like, I'm going to feed him to the birds. His carcass is going to be there. And David turns around. I, I tell you what. Uh, of all the men in the Bible that I want to identify with, and at times I do identify with very well, it's David. One, because God says he's a man after his own heart. Two, because David was one of the most imperfect people you will find in all of Scripture. And still God says he's a man after my own heart. And there's multiple reasons for that. Um, when we get to this portion, we see that Saul was concerned with self-preservation and self-glorification. When you read through Scripture, you'll find out. Because you know what's interesting about Saul? Saul was, the Bible tells us, heads and shoulder above everyone else in Israel. He was the tallest person there. If anyone was supposed to face the giant, it should have been him. But he was more... Uh, uh, worried about how he looked in front of the people and making sure that he kept reigning as king. And, and it's a sad state of affairs because God chose him to be the leader out of all the people in Israel because he started out well. How many of you guys have started out well and found that you've fumbled and messed the ball up and dropped it and all those things? Was it because 
David was young? Was it because he was a shepherd? Uh, maybe because he was a peasant? It could have been any of those things. You know how Goliath knew that, though? Because of the way David was dressed. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. David was dressed when he came out on the field. He would have been wearing what he was wearing at home. He would have been wearing shepherd's clothing. Something we don't quite get today because we all have access to stores to go buy whatever we want, to dress however we want, and look whatever way we want to. That in these days, people wore clothing that signified who they were. What they wore would communicate to you what they were. Um, That's why lepers... Not only did they have to say things like, I'm unclean, but their clothing would have communicated to you that, hey, I need to stay away from him because he's infected with something. So their clothing communicated who they were. And we're going to be talking about that in in a little bit more in depth today. David age uh, would be the only thing communicated by what he looked like. Everything else would have been communicated by his clothing and Goliath would have known it when he saw it. So David defeats the giant and the Philistines. We're about to jump into scripture, and the Philistines are slaughtered. In fact, as I was reading through this multiple times, uh, it just happens that it was also recently in my daily Bible reading that we've been hearing about David and and Goliath and all those things. It's been a few weeks ago, but um, uh, maybe last week. I don't remember. I think it was last week. Um, But... My Bible says that, and the slaughter of the Philistines, that's what they called it. Like the people called it the slaughter of the Philistines. So David kills Goliath, and that gives enough of a boost to the rest of Israel. And they're like, we're going after these people because the Philistines turn and run because all this time they've been relying on Goliath, right? And David in a little rock knocks the guy down, and then the sword cuts his head off. David does exactly what he said he was going to do. And David's concern was not with Israel winning a battle. His concern was that that Philistine is defiling not only the nation, but he's talking about God like he's nothing, and that can't stand. And so David's like, you come against me with a sword and a spear, and you, you are defiling the Israel army and our God. And so because of that, today, I'm going to deliver you to the fowls of the air. That's, he kind of just takes it. He says, not only you, but all of the Philistines as well. And David does just that. So he is, as right after that happens, um, Saul's like, who is that young man? Bring him here. And he gets in front of Saul, and Saul says, who, whose child are you? Who's your father? Which is a very odd thing because the chapter before, if you just go back one chapter, you're going to find, and, and we're in 1 Samuel 18, but if you'll go back to 1 Samuel 17, you'll find out that David gets anointed king, and at the same exact time that that takes place, the Spirit of God leaves Saul, and a troubling spirit from God comes to Saul. And Saul starts having all this difficulty, and he's He's troubled, and his spirit is troubled. And so he's like, does anyone know someone that can play some music? Right? That's basically what he says when you read through it. And what's interesting is one of the servants is like, there is a boy named David who is a man of valor. He's a man of honor. 
He's a man of war. Now, wait a minute. He's only been a shepherd up to this point. And he also can sing and worship, which is really crazy because David's only been doing this on the backside of the the fields, tending to some sheep. No one else knows who he is. And yet somehow it's gotten noised abroad that servants in the king's palace are like, there's this boy named David. Oh, and by the way, he looks pretty good, too. That, that language is in there. It's kind of funny. And so, and they, they tell him he's the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And so it's really interesting to me that here we are just a chapter later, and Saul's saying, who is that? And who's his daddy? And when David, and when David gets over there, he's like, well, I'm David, and my dad is Jesse. You know, I've only been your armor bearer now for at least one chapter. I don't know what kind of time it has gone by here. But, you know, for the last chapter, I'll just use that language. I've been your armor bearer, and I'm the one that's been singing in the corner over here every time you have a bad day. Right? That's essentially what David was to him. And yet Saul's saying, who is that? Sometimes those people in that type of authority don't necessarily recognize folks. That's another whole thought. But... 1 Samuel 18, we're going to pick up. This is where we're starting. Verses 3 or 4. As soon as that had happened, though, he has that conversation with the king. The king's son is in the room, and the Bible tells us that this happened. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, let me help some of you with a little bit of this just real quick. Because in the world we live in, sometimes we've got to clarify this. These two were not in a homosexual relationship. I know everyone likes to try to push that. Their love was so close because there's another scripture that everyone's like, their love was even stronger than that for a woman. But when you look at the word love, it's not the same type of love that is used in a sexual relationship. But it's one, those are two different words that are used in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. And it's very clear what kind of love they had. And, and just because we're not familiar with customs and things today, it's, it's very clear what type of relationship these two had. These two were like brothers instantly. And I've met those kind of guys before in my life where you run into them, you start talking to them, you're like, man, this is just a brother right here. I'm gonna, this is always going to be a brother. We, we may not see each other every single day, but I just can click with this guy anytime I'm around him, right? And Jonathan immediately had that relationship with David and said, you know what? I trust you. Here you go. And he takes his robe off. Uh, this is also interesting to to. To note, he didn't strip naked. (laughs) He gave him his outer cloak, the thing that identified him. See, everyone always had on a a set of clothing, but then there was something you put on that identified. And what he was wearing would have identified him as the prince, as the son of the king, as, interestingly enough, the next one in line. Right? And King... King uh, Saul would have seen this take place, and it probably would have been one of the very first things that start to frustrate him, right? We know later on that it's basically all the women saying that David's killed his, or Saul's killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousands, and he got jealous because they were saying something better about David than himself. Why? Because he cared more about his 
image than he did about the kingdom. And, and it's interesting, when you follow David and, and Saul's life, David is always, always, always faithful to serve the kingdom in every turn. So Jonathan and David become like brothers almost immediately, and uh, they become best friends. This isn't uh, just any exchange. Again, and I heard it preached this way one time, if David, after that moment, if David was walking through the camp, people would have started bowing because they saw the robe. And then when he got closer, they'd been like, wait a minute, that's not the face of Jonathan. You're the boy who killed the giant, right? They would have been bowing because the robe communicated to them that this was the prince, the heir to the throne. And when Jonathan did this, we don't see it worded in Scripture, but many believe that Jonathan is saying, I recognize that you're going to be the next one to run this thing. It's very possible that Jonathan is like, I'm, I'm willing to hand this over to you, and I'm willing to serve you when you are the king. But, but what's interesting is that the Bible says in um, right, let's go back one, verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Now, the New King James is the version that's on the screen before you. When you read different versions, you will see that that word made sometimes changes to the word cut. Jonathan and David cut a covenant. This, they didn't just shake hands. They didn't do the old school, let me slice my hand, you slice your hand. No, they, they did a sacrifice. They cut up a cow, and they walked in between it. If you've ever been here, or a heifer will say, if you've ever been here, Pastor Mika did an outstanding message on that where she did a whole illustration of walking in between the two halves of the, the, the sacrifice, and that was a blood covenant that was done when you brought two people together that were saying, we're going we're gonna to run together, we're going to be together, we're going to be one as, as, as family goes, we're like brothers, we're whatever in business or whatever the thing was, it was they would cut a covenant. So this was a serious situation here. This wasn't just they shook hands, you know what, I'm going to be your best friend. No, they, they followed a whole ceremony. When you see that word covenant there, it wasn't just something that was done lightly. It wasn't, it wasn't the grabbing the inside of your thigh, if you know what that means. Today we shake hands. In the old days when they finished a deal, they would grab each other on the inside of the thigh. That meant, hey, this is a deal. That wasn't this either. This was a whole covenant. They cut covenant. And so this was very, very serious. And so David, from that day forward, now wears the identity of a prince. And he... <laughs> The Bible tells us after this, he goes on, Saul puts him in charge of the army. He does all kinds of things, and, and this is when some of the troubles start. But what I want to communicate to you here is once completed, David would have, have like I said, walked through the camp. People would have been bowing. They would have thought that uh, uh, he was the prince of the kingdom just by the clothes he was wearing. Now, what David was wearing earlier wasn't horrible wasn't the worst thing ever, but it just wasn't communicating who he was now, right? We're going to talk about that. It was still inadequate for the kingdom. It's another way to look at it. What he wore before is now inadequate for the kingdom. It got him to where he's at now, but it's inadequate now that he's a part of the kingdom, 
sometimes we can see in Scripture, <clears throat> well, let, let me just say this. He could have been wearing the fanciest of clothes in that day when he walked before Saul, and it still would have been inadequate for the kingdom. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but he, he could have been in the Versace of his day. <laughs> they didn't have name brand stuff like that, right? But to put it in their day, if he would have been wearing bright colors, because dyes were extremely expensive, so, you know, purple or blue, or if he would have had on something that had, you know, like Joseph's coat of many colors. This is why some people don't understand that that was um, a special deal. His dad had a coat of many. That was an expensive jacket because it had many different colors, and those colors cost because they didn't just have some chemical plant somewhere making a dye. They had to find beetles and plants and, and sea urchins and different things along those lines that could then be crushed up and made into the dyes that they needed to dye those clothing. And that was very, very, very long process and therefore cost a lot of money. And so he could have been wearing the, the coat of many colors or something that would have cost a lot of money. And it still would have been inadequate for the kingdom. We're going to get to that scripture in a minute. But for now, let me jump in. There is a theme of not wearing the right thing throughout scripture. Let's start in Matthew 22. We're going to start in verse 2, go through verse 14. We're going to get some scripture in today. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Many of you are like, oh, I know this story. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, telling those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all the things are ready. Come to the wedding. But, when they, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. Basically, they said, we didn't have time for you. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and then killed them. This is where we get that phrase. Listen, I'm just the messenger. Don't kill the messenger, right? But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I'm going to go through this story again very quickly, and I want to talk about a couple of points that things have jumped out. Um, this, this parable is talking about Jesus inviting the Jewish people to the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? That they're the ones by nature, because God, they're God's chosen people, who were invited to see him first as the Messiah. And they despitefully used him and murdered him. He's already speaking ahead of time here. 
And because of that, God not only opens it up to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Hello, that's me. I don't know if you're a Gentile, but I'm a Gentile. I'm not Jewish. And that's why it says bad and good. The bad are the Gentiles, just in case you didn't know. The good in this case are the people who are kind of in, which would have been the Jewish. It's a parable in that particular story. But now you understand that all are invited, right? That's what the whole story is about. Now, I used to, growing up as a child, there's several things when I was a child I would read these, and I would just be like, this don't make sense. You just went out in the street and just grabbed a bunch of random people, and now you're mad about what the guy's wearing, right? That's what I thought when I was growing up. But I also was thinking from a a standpoint of Western culture. When you understand that in this type of culture, when a wedding is prepared, one of the things that would happen is you walk in the door, you would exchange your outer cloak for a wedding cloak. And the only way that this man got in front of the king without a wedding cloak was he refused to put it on. He wanted all the festivities of the wedding, but he didn't want to put on the identity of a wedding guest. I want all the benefits, but I don't want to look like everyone else. And when you start to understand that, you can understand that because, let me word it a little bit different. The identity was provided for him freely. All he had to do was put it on. And instead, he refused. Now, I don't know for sure a couple of things that, because this could, this could talk to, this could change some theology for some folks, but I don't know if it's a situation where he put it on and decided, no, it's too hot, and decided to take it off. If that was the case, he would have only been wearing his, not undergarments like we think of underwear, but there would have been like a, a, a robe that was underneath that did not identify who he was, or was he still wearing his own identity? I think the latter is most likely the truth. He was still wearing his identity and had refused to wear the identity that was provided for him at the door. And you have to understand that, again, we're in parables. We're talking about the wedding supper that's going to be for everyone who is a born-again believer. No one will be allowed there who is not wearing the right clothing. But the good news is, is the clothing is provided. You don't have to pay for it. Jesus did that on the cross, right? And then the very last scripture in this set, it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And I've always heard that before, and I'm like, well, that means that there's a hierarchy to this thing. Some people are chosen and some people aren't. But when you get into the Aramaic and the Greek here, you find out that what it actually is saying, the best translation of it is, Many are called, but few choose to be chosen. That's the actual language that should be here. Few of us choose to be chosen. In other words, God wants to choose more, but few people choose to be chosen. And so clearly here, we can see that if you don't have on the proper clothes, it's not his fault, but it's our fault. And the right clothing is, is uh, merely a statement of saying, I'm going to put on something better than what I'm currently wearing. And we're speaking spiritually here. I want you to understand that it doesn't have to do with whether you got your clothes at Target or Walmart or Kohl's. 
I know I keep going up a little bit. Old Navy's and kind of right in there, right? Or you went to Saks Fifth Avenue. I mean, that's a whole different. I don't know if anyone in this house is going to Saks, but I don't even know if we have one in the area. Anyway, probably not. <laughs> it's not in a cow town like Kansas City. I'm talking spiritually, and spiritually, sometimes our identity is lost because we're not wearing the right thing. Now, I'm going to get to how to put that on here in just a few minutes. It's almost like it was an act of defiance. Like, I was invited to the party, but I don't want to follow the rules. I'm going to do my own thing. I want to read a few scriptures that, that go along with this and help you understand. Just paint a picture with these that go with this thought. Romans 5, 18 through 19. Therefore, as though one man's, as through one man's offense, uh, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. We all know the sin, right? Satan, he's the one that was defiant, disobedient. The act that was righteous, Jesus, right, died on the cross. For as by one man's disobedience, hello, Satan, many were made sinners. Also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's, that's the picture here. So your righteousness isn't determined by you. It's determined by the one man, in this case, Jesus Christ, who did the right thing, who obeyed his father, who provided the free gift of righteousness. He did that. So 1 Corinthians 1, 30 through 31. Now, this is going to kind of be rapid uh, fire on these three sections here. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and he what? And righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So Jesus Christ is all those things. That as it is written, he who glorifies, let him glory. I love this. The one word that we sometimes miss, in the Lord. We're going to come back to that thought. In the Lord. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though uh, God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 21. <laughs> for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Hello, let me pause here for a minute. This is the exchange, just like, and, and I can't find it in Scripture. Many believe that at the moment that the covenant was cut between David and Jonathan, that they actually exchanged clothing, outer garments. And so that, that would make sense in this theology that for him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, hello, I took off my garment of righteousness and I put on your garment of sin. He was made sin, right? That we might become the righteousness. Why? Because now we get to put on his garment of righteousness of God in him. This scripture here is almost like it's just a parallel picture of David and Jonathan all the way back then, that that might have been a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do for us. That, hey, I'm going to take your filthy rags, put them on, and I'm going to give you my priestly garments or my, because kings and, and princes wore priestly king garments, and I'm going to give those to you. Very interesting. I find this. 
And so let's just take a very quick detour and understand this. <laughs> the clothing never belonged to us, the right clothing, but it was made available to us. When he said on the cross, it is finished. And actually, the beginning of the transference happened before that, when he was in the garden. It says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That was the beginning of the transference. And then from that point all the way through the, the death, burial, and resurrection, that's the cutting of covenant. That's the blood covenant taking place. The same thing that happened before with David and Jonathan. Hey, we're going to do this, and then we're going to exchange identities, and you are now going to be the next in line to inherit the kingdom. Very, very easy, but here's the next thing. One last important step. I say that. I didn't give this to them, but in Isaiah, I want you to understand, and I kind of alluded to it a minute ago. In Isaiah, the scripture is read that talks about our, fil- our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I kind of covered that when I said it didn't matter what garment that David would have been wearing. He could have been wearing the best garment ever. It still would have been as filthy rags to the kingdom, right? And the Bible tells us that our right, we could be as righteous as you can be. It's still like filthy rags to God. The only thing that looks clean to him is that we've exchanged our garment and put on the right one. We're going to get to that right here in Romans 13. We're going to read this. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. <laughs> this, this is prophetic right now for the time we live in. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. How, anyone believe that? The night is far spent. Like time's getting short, guys. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Hello, Ephesians 6. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not drunkenness, not lewdness and lust, not in strife. We talked about that earlier. And envy. But put on, this is where we got to get dressed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I, I want you to hear something. And it's interesting, when we hear the word lust, we immediately think that the word lust is evil. The word lust itself is not evil. If you start digging into the, the idea, lust is just a very strong like. But if you look at where it's used most of the time in the Bible, it is connected directly with that other word, flesh. It says the provision for the flesh to fulfill its, what? Flesh lusts. Lust of the flesh is evil. There's another scripture that says that, that the, the flesh lusts after things of the flesh and the spirit after the things of the spirit. It doesn't say the word lust there, but it just, in the same language, it says it, the spirit, the things after the spirit. So the spirit can lust after the things of the spirit. It's a possibility. We don't think of it that way. But I want you to see this. 
We must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard one of the best messages ever taught by a gentleman by the name of Reggie Powers. How many of you guys remember Reggie? If you've been in here, I know Deontay will remember him. Deontay will remember this message. We were over in Independence. We were at a teen talent. He came up to preach, and he preached a message on put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to get a little graphic, and I'm going to ask you guys to stay like adults with me. Don't be childish, right? The language and picture that's being drawn here, and I'm trying to do this without laughing because I know you're all going to chuckle a little bit, right? Is would be like if we were all to put on a pair of yoga pants, right? <laughs> I heard Deontay. Why? Because he's the biggest child in here besides me. <laughs> I love that dude. You and I know that if I were, if any of us were to squeeze into a pair of those, There's no room between the yoga pants and our skin. That's the picture being drawn here. When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not leaving anything else on. You're putting on him, and he should be so close that there's no room or provision for the flesh or to fulfill the lusts of that. In other words, the only thing I have on is Jesus. Which means my identity now is solely in Jesus. I'm not going to have anything else on that identifies. I, I heard this, and I think I shared this testimony with you guys years ago, and I wish I could find the clip and play it for you because it, it's more moving than me telling the story. But Francis Chan was in the middle of his popularity, so he was on the circuit in California, he had written the book Crazy Love. Everybody, if you guys haven't read that book, it's, it's like a must. All Christians should read that book. But Crazy Love was an outstanding book. He had written it, and people were asking him to come and talk, and he was going from church to church to church. And, and he said in California, as he went from church to church to church, people kept asking him, have you met so-and-so? And I can't remember the name of that guy. Um, and I'll just use a name like Stephen. Sounds like a great name. Um, he just said, they would say, have you met, you know, Stephen or so-and-so? And he would be like, no, I haven't. And they're like, you need to meet him. And this ha- kept happening over and over and over and over. And finally, like about the fifth or sixth time, he's like, okay, who is this guy that everyone keeps asking me if I've met him? And the person that was standing there says, I don't know any other way to explain it to you other than if you've met him, you feel like you've met Jesus. And Francis said, that convicted me because I wondered if anyone was saying that about me. Right? And whoever this gentleman was, he would go to cities in like Mexico and he would be there to minister to kids in some of the poorest neighborhoods and districts. And when he would come in, he'd come in with a shopping cart. They had like t-shirts and they had stuff to, you know, give away. And he, the kids would flock to him. And they wouldn't know why. They just would see this man coming down the road, but they would just flock to him. And as they did, he would just, he would sit down and let him sit on his knee and he would talk to them about the Lord and he would just love on them. And people said it was just like a picture of you, what you imagined Jesus when he was in the old days. And he said, suffer the little children to come to me. That it was that exact picture. 
And when I hear that story, it pricks my heart because I wonder the same thing. Has anyone ever said about Tom Seavers, have, have you, if you've met Tom, you've met Jesus? And if not, then I'm falling short. And could it be because I feel like maybe, I don't know if his name's Stephen, but this gentleman, could it be that he had put on the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that that was the only identity he wanted to walk in every single day? But sometimes we want our flesh, and we want to do the things of our flesh, and we want what we want. And listen, I'm saying we. I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. I'm starting right here with numero uno. This message has been pricking my heart for several weeks now. Have I put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Now think about this. At least the next statement I make, I'm I'm going to say at least I hope this to be true. Every single one of us, every day when we get up, we put on clothes, right? That's in the physical. Every single day when we get up, we should be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like, I don't know about you, but when I'm at work periodically throughout the day, I'll do one of those things if I have to run to the restroom and, and take care of some business. As I'm walking out, I stop at the mirror and I just kind of give myself a once over, make sure that everything's where it should be, that, you know, I don't have a toilet paper stuck to the bottom of the shoe, right? You know, all that kind of stuff, right? Are we doing that also with the Lord Jesus Christ that we put on in the morning? Give myself a once over. Is my attitude in check? Is my spirit in the right place because I'm thinking more about him and his word and what he has for me? Have I put on the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that there's no room for there to be any other spiritual clothing besides him? When I heard that that scripture, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, when Reggie did it, he was like, it was almost like a stretchy suit. He said, it's not, he did this thing. He had a big trench coat and he put it on. And he's like, but you know what? There's plenty of room in here for some other clothing under this trench coat. He's like, but if I was to step into something that there was no room, that's the way we should be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be making it. And then when you start seeing it like this, then you look all the way back and you start understanding that multiple places in Scripture you can find these little pictures where because we're not wearing the right clothing. You know what? Could it be, and I put these in my notes. (laughs) Could it be that the reason why when you rebuke the enemy and he doesn't seem to go away, it's because you haven't put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? Like the disciples, when they're like in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, right? And they're like, or Peter. It's always the P names that get me mixed up. (laughs) is Paul, but the demons go, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? And they left beaten up. Why? Because they didn't have on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we gain by putting him on? You get the authority. You know what? The same thing that happened to David when he walked through the camp, all of hell does the same thing. They go, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. We can't fight him. And then when you get closer, they're like, why does he look so much like Jesus? Because he put them on. It's not Tommy Seavers anymore, but I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So today I was like, I'm going to get up. Now, we could use Ephesians 6. You keep hearing me refer to that. I didn't actually put that in here because we, we seem to beat that set of scriptures over our heads, but maybe we need to. 
right? It's the helmet of salvation. Where does that come from? Jesus, right? The breastplate of righteousness. Where does that come from? We just read the scripture, Jesus. The belt of truth. What's that? Wait, wait. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Your feet are shod with what? The preparation of the gospel of peace. You have the sword of the spirit, right? Every part of the armor that you put on is something that comes directly from Christ. And if you under, start understanding that, and you start getting that, and that scripture, that whole entire chapter ends with this famous saying. It says, and when you've done everything you can do, just stand. Having done all, stand, it says. It means you've done everything else you can do. But you know why? Because right before that, after you put on all the armor, it says, then you need to pray. And you need to pray with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. All the saints. If they profess Jesus, all the saints. Doesn't matter if they've irritated you recently, all the saints. <laughs> I'm going to throw that, keep throwing that in there. That goes back to my unity. I'm telling you, you got to have it. All prayer and all supplication for all saints. I just want us today to be aware that it could be that maybe the reason why we have burnout is because we didn't put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're trying to do it in our own identity. Been there, done it. I'm just saying I've done, been there, done it. And here's the other thing that is so powerful about this entire process is that it, the identity is provided to you freely. You don't have to pay anything for it. You just have to be willing to put it on. And that's the hardest part for us because it means my flesh doesn't get to operate. Right? So it's more of a will and flesh thing than it is a does it cost me too much thing. There's an old song. I say old now. Oh, my goodness, Lacey, that is sad that I'm saying that's old. That says um, <laughs> there is no cost. It was done by someone named Misty Edwards, and she's not that old. <laughs> and when I'm talking about old song, Lacey and I go back to Gaither days and before, and we, we like that we're some of the few in the church. You guys are like, I don't even know who that is. But this song says that when I start to kind of look at it, I realize that there is no cost. Things that I thought it was costing me when I gave it up, I realized afterwards, you know what, that thing was trivial and it really wasn't a cost. It was more a hindrance at me getting closer to the identity I should be living in than it was a cost. Sometimes we, we look at things that the Lord may say, put that down. We look at things, I'm going to do this because some of us like to play video games. We look at things, I'm pointing at the TV here. You know, you want to sit and watch five hours of TV or read books for four hours. All the things that I'm mentioning right now are not sin in and of themselves. But when it's something that you cannot put down, set aside, or let go of, to get closer to him, it becomes an idol. And that's hard for us to do because I, I'll just tell you that in the years that God's dealt with me to let go of something, put it down, 
And there's been times where he just asked me to put it down for a time to prove to myself, number one, that I did not have to have that thing, right? And, and sometimes God's asked me to put stuff down forever. There's been multiple different times in my life. Every single time afterwards, I'm like, I don't know why I fought you on that, Lord. The outcome was far better than me keeping that thing in my life. What you did in my life as a result of me letting that go was far better than me keeping that in my life. And so today I want to say just this. I really believe that we're coming into a time right now. I'm getting ready to close, so I'm not keeping you guys very long, I don't think. Um, Jane will tell me the exact time on the recording so he can rub it in my face later. But, because <laughs> that's the kind of kid he is. We're coming into a time where, in all seriousness, we're gonna, you're not going to make it on your own fleshly or just human knowledge of the word. It's going to require the spirit of God being in your life. It's going to require you living with the Lord Jesus Christ put on. Because things are going to become increasingly more offensive to you. And if you're living by this, you're unfortunately going to become increasingly more offensive to the world. When you live according to the gospel the way that Christ intended it, it is unfortunately offensive to this world's systems. And don't get me wrong, the world's systems are churning faster than they ever have before. And there are things that are happening right now that if you could see and start putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, you would understand that the Lord's return is extremely close. Like, and, and, I, and I just say this. I said this in our, um, we've had, uh, we, when we have our life groups, and we've had to start having extra ones because otherwise it's going to take us two years to get through the, <laughs> the teaching that we're trying to go through. So we're trying to have extra ones each month like on a Tuesday. And, and I said this in one of those, and I believe this to be true. I remember my parents saying that his return was very close. And I remember some of their leaders who were, would have been grandparents age for me saying that in their time that his return was very close. And something in, that has happened in the churches were like, well, they've always said his return is close. Let me help you out with this. Jesus said it as he was leaving his disciples, I will be back soon. And soon to all of us is like, okay, we're not seeing it, <laughs> right? In fact, there's some false doctrine that's like, well, it happened in 70 AD and blah, 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 blah. That's, that's false doctrine. It's not true. Jesus is coming back. But there are a few things that had to happen according to Scripture. One, Israel had to be a nation. That happened in 1948. Two, the Antichrist seemed to be on scene. And I don't know if you know this. It's not an Antichrist spirit. There's an actual person that exists right now on the planet. I don't know who it is. I'm not trying to pretend like I do. But I'm telling you that his appearance is very soon. And when he comes on the scene, he'll be a world leader that everyone's like, that guy's amazing. That's exactly how it's going to look. He has all the answers. And then there's going to be some terribleness that follows. <clears throat> the whole world's going to love it at first. But then all of a sudden what's going to happen is Jesus is going to show up on the scene and he's going to, he's going to have to set some things straight. And I'm excited for that. But the truth is this, that if we're going to live for him, we're going to have to put him on every single day. 
And like pastors have been praying for the church and have been praying for new life, that we don't want any missed Sundays. In other words, I don't want us to come in here on a Sunday morning, just sit down, be a part of a service, and walk out, and nothing had affected our lives that day. That's a missed opportunity. Because it's not about whether or not Jesus is here showing up to do something. He's always here. It's about whether or not did I partake while I was there. Did I decide to put on the clothes that day? Right? And if I put them on before I got there, we'd be ten times better. If I'm having to wait until I get at the door like the guy in the, the story, then we're in trouble. But the point is, is if you enter in, God's going to meet you here. And he wants to do something in our lives, but we're going to have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. Because our righteousness, even if we live morally, is still as filthy rags. It's not good enough for the kingdom. But if we're wearing him, if we're wearing Jesus, I know that sounds weird. I'm just using scripture. It's what it says. If I'm wearing Christ, then my identity's straight. And the more I'm plugged in with him, just talking to him every single day, reading his word every day, the more if you're one of those people at the beginning I mentioned, some people struggle their whole lives trying to find their identity. The more you do that, the quicker you'll find that identity. The quicker you'll start walking in it. There won't be burnout, right? Because you're at peace. That's one area that I have been blessed with the Lord. There can be all kinds of turmoil in my area, in my life, in every area of my life is what I meant to say. And yet I still am at peace. And I, that's just an area that I have walked well in. Peace for me is not a hard thing to walk in. Humility sometimes, right? Sometimes there's other areas that I struggle in, but peace isn't one of them, and so I've been blessed. But I recognize there are people who struggle to walk in peace. And so what's my job since I walk in it? Pray for them to be able to walk in peace. Lord, let them walk in peace. And that comes from, I have that part of the Lord Jesus Christ on very well. I just need to get some of the other ones on. Amen? Do you all have areas that you recognize? You're like, man, I just got to get this. I need to put it under him. I need to let him be the thing that people see and not me. I need to put it on so that my attitude towards other people and other relationships is, you know, we sang this song years, a few years back, give me your eyes so I can see, right? That was like the K-Love song of the minute that was on for every time you turn the radio on, that song was playing. But there's some truth to it. If we put them on, we're going to have his eyes. We're going to see people the way he sees them. We're not going to just see them the way we want to see them. So, if you will, stand. I, I don't have a whole lot I, other than I just really feel like if you are struggling with identity, like where do I fit into the kingdom, stop trying to worry about what that looks like and just worry about putting on the Lord. Put him on. Let him be your identity. And through that, as you're just walking out your days, your identity will become clear and clear. And also, when you have to fight the enemy for whatever reason, the enemy's coming against you, right? The, the scripture says, we always quote the Bible and say that if you resist the devil, he will flee. But we forget the first half of that scripture. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. And what is that? Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you resist the devil, he's going to flee. Why? Because you look like the Lord and he doesn't want to mess any, do anything. 
that has to do with messing with the Lord. He's like, leave me alone. What have I had to do with you? That's what, he, that's what the enemy said to Jesus when he stepped out on the, eye, the island. They come running up to him and say, what do we have to do with you? Leave us alone. Don't torment us. Because they recognize the authority. When you wear the Lord Jesus Christ, they recognize the authority in you. Amen. Can we just bow our heads for a minute?